Good morning. It's good to be with you. Wonderful. Well, I wonder if you've ever stood outside a door and been quite nervous before you knocked on it. Perhaps it's been outside the head teacher's office or before going into a job interview or maybe delivering that handmade Valentine's card. That feeling of nervousness inside you because you don't know what response you're going to get. Are you going to be rejected? Are you going to get a ticking off? What's going to happen? Perhaps you just feel unworthy in some way to be stood outside that door. And you know, I meet a lot of people who feel that way about knocking on God's door. They're nervous and they're worried because what will happen if they're rejected? Will they get a ticking off? Perhaps they're not good enough. And in today's Bible passage, we learn something absolutely amazing. It says that we can confidently come to God because of what Jesus has done for us, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We can come with total confidence and knock on God's door. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling this January quite up and down. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, things can be quite challenging and we can't meet in person properly. And yet, all of us can come with total confidence and knock on God's door and draw near to God. So how can we have this confidence? Well, verse 22 tells us four ways in which we can come to God with that confidence. And it says this, firstly, we're to come with a sincere heart. That means being the people who have God's ways written onto our hearts. It's a little bit of a throwback to a verse in Jeremiah 31, verse 13, which says that God has written his laws into our hearts. Having sincere hearts means being people that are open to having God's ways in us. And if we carry that openness with us, we're carrying a desire to be close to God with sincere hearts, then we can be confident as we draw near to God. We can be confident to draw near with faith. This isn't something that we can drum up uh, by ourselves, but rather it comes from looking hard at the object of faith, of Jesus himself. Thinking on Jesus brings assurance of faith. Thirdly, we can draw near with confidence because we've been sprinkled clean, verse 22 tells us. Isn't that amazing that as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, that has the power to wash our consciences of anything that might have been troubling us and of anything we have done wrong. And therefore, when we stand outside God's door, we can be really confident because nothing can get in the way of our relationship with God. Jesus has taken away the stuff that we've done wrong. And then finally, verse 22 says, you can have confidence as well because you've been washed with pure water. This is a reference to baptism, a sign of entry into God's renewed people. And it's with that final way that we confidently draw near through our baptism that we realize that our worship is not just a private individual affair, but also a corporate and public one. 
So as Christians, we have this incredible blessing. We can stand outside God's door and knock with utter confidence. We can draw near to God. We can draw near to the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty One, the Lord, the Most High. We can draw near and close to God. Isn't this amazing? And I wonder and I hope that you're beginning to see that as we read through this book of Hebrews, the writer is drawing us back all the time to look upon Jesus and what he accomplished for us and how amazing God is. And then out of that, out of knowing how awesome our God is, flows a worshipful response back to God. And so we get the writer giving us exhortations and these exhortations flow as a response back to our amazing God. And so in verses 23 to 25, the writer tells us three ways that our lives should respond in worship to this amazing God. Firstly, we're to hold unswervingly to the hope we have. Secondly, we're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And thirdly, we're not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to encourage one another. Now, it might be, seem quite strange uh, at this time in particular, but I'm going to focus for just a moment on the third and final of these exhortations, not to give up meeting together. And just briefly, we're going to listen to a pastor share his heart about how things have been at this time. If the Bible was true, which I think it is, I would expect it to have cost me spiritually not to meet as a church. I'd expect not having communion, not having corporate prayer, not having corporate singing, all of those things to make to take a huge toll on my spiritual life. And I think it has. And I think I'm at, at times I'm I'm quite like pastorally. I've almost been quite careful not to sort of go. It's all fine. Don't worry. What? my personal thing but when it first started lots of leaders were going this is all going to be we're going to reinvent it. it's all going to go online and you bet guys God's going to be in this and it's going to be all of which is kind of true but I think that there's a it's important also to recognize like it's it shouldn't be okay it sh- if you take the gathered church away for six months society should feel it. and I think it did yeah. over the summer yeah. and I think that and the individuals in the church should feel it and I think we have so I think we've done some things to recover and, and bounce and I think and rework things, which we, you know, we can talk about, but I, probably the first thing to say is I don't, it has not been my best spiritual six months. And I would actually, I'm not saying it's bad if anyone has, I think, praise God for that, but I would have been surprised if it had. Mm. And I think there's, there's quite good sort of reasons to do with our doctrine of the church that you would expect that not. I'd, I'd almost be concerned if I, the church got taken away and I'm like, I'm doing better than ever. I'd be like, okay, well, that's odd. Why is that? Unless something particularly excellent has happened. So I think we've had to adapt, and, and we have, I think, in some personal daily routines, probably particularly in the last two or three months. I feel like we've got better at some of those things and learned, no, that's got to go. We're going to have to do it this way. And we'll probably have to do that again and morph, morph again. But I think my overall story has been I don't think it... I wouldn't look back at this year with fondness and go, oh, I know it was a really difficult time, but my relationship with God went, was, went to another place. I think I'd say, actually, some things have gone better because they've had to, but overall, the loss of the church is a bigger bummer than some of these other things have been gains. Yeah. And I yeah. will probably always look back at this year and think, 
I just, I wanted the church, I needed the church. And, and, and obviously we're doing our best to make church work as you are too, but it, it's, it's just not the same. And, and so I, I think it has overall still been quite a big net loss for me from a spiritual point of view. Yeah. And I feel like I want to almost name that and affirm it and say, I think in some ways that's appropriate given, just like I think Paul would say, I'll write to you from jail, but being in jail is not as good as being in the church. And yeah. I, I think yeah. that's, it's important we learn to reinvent things if you are, if you are in jail or in yeah. lockdown, but... Yeah. It's not, it's not. Thank you. And so I guess this morning, I just want to remind us afresh that the scripture tells us that the Christian faith is one in which we are to live it out corporately. It isn't something that we can do on our own. And yet in this season, it has been really tough. And it's good and right to say what's been really rubbish about this season. But I want us to think about how it is going to evolve for us as we move forward. What's it going to mean for us to not give up as we prepare for more opportunity for that in the future again? Back in the autumn when we had a more open setup in church and people were coming back in limited numbers to services, I remember meeting a lady in our congregation and she'd only just started coming to Christ Church before the first lockdown really. And so she hadn't really made many friends yet, wasn't feeling that connected and so she was wondering whether she should bother coming back because she wasn't sure she felt that like that part of things which I could could understand. But but she did come back and she came right rushing up to me at the end of the service and from a good social distance said, Nicola, it's amazing to be back with my church family. I'd forgotten what I'd been missing. My faith has been refreshed this morning. Because actually being together is so important to us, both for us and for others. Now, it's possible that the Hebrews were um, scared of gathering together because of the persecution that was happening at that time. You know, much easier to avoid being noticed if you don't actually turn up to the gathering. But the writer of Hebrews says there's no place for that behavior. Every Christian needs the encouragement of every other Christian, even if that means you're going to face death as a consequence. Everyone who comes through the door, whether that's a cave or into a great cathedral, is a real encouragement to everyone else there. A while back, um, I was talking to a friend who said her 16-year-old son had decided not to attend something in order to keep coming to church. And he said to her, he said, It will matter to the younger ones if I'm not there. And I thought, wow, that 16-year-old has grasped way more than I have, and I think many of us have, to have that sense of understanding that he is significant and important, that his turning up matters not just to him but to others, and he's going to work out some other way of doing other activity, but he's going to commit to something in church every week. Amazing. Now, I tell that story not to put a little guilt trip on us, that the author of Hebrews is not doing that either. But what he's saying is, remember what you have in Jesus. Remember that it's more important than anything else you can gain in any other way through anything else the world will offer you. And if that is true, 
Then remember, don't give up meeting together. It's important for your faith and it's important for others. It's important because it's in that meeting, in that intentionality, that we do spur one another towards love and good deeds. We meet as a sacrifice of worship to God because that is what he calls us to do. He has made it in such a way that we cannot do this Christian life alone. Have you noticed how the Lord's Prayer is always written? It's in the plural, isn't it? It's us, we. When Christ returns for his bride, his bride is the body of Christ made up of many parts, made up of us all. It's not, not coming back for one individual. And when things are true in God's kingdom, um, I love seeing how often the revelation God brings is then worked out both in nature and in the secular world. I don't know if any of you have been watching a Perfect Planet at all on the television, but if you haven't, check out the ants in episode three. It is just phenomenal. And in some senses, a picture of what the church should be. So check that out if you've, you've not watched it. Or perhaps listen to Christine Comerford writing... Um, about leadership strategy. She says this, the greater the feeling of connection with others or the feeling that we're in this together and we belong together, the greater the feeling that we personally matter and make a difference and are contributing to the greater good, then the greater the success of the company, the relationship, the family, the team, the individual. God has made it so that we Therefore, do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't drift. So what on earth, Nicola, are we supposed to do with this passage in the middle of lockdown when you've told us to stay away from church and not to meet and we're trying to be as safe as we can and the few of us that are in here are sat about five metres apart from each other. What on earth does this mean? How are we going to apply this passage? Well, very quickly, here's some just simple ideas for us to take away. The first is this. Can we encourage one another through text, through on the throne, when we chat to each other, to keep on meeting with Jesus? Because the more we hang out with Jesus in the first place, the more we're going to become like him and therefore be a blessing to others around us. Perhaps we could use this time to think about things that we do and say that can be used to spur the body up to works of love. For some of us, I really do think God wants us to use this time to challenge and assess our priorities. Meeting together is really important for the benefit of others and for ourselves. In a culture that's super flaky, in a culture that says, I'm just going to do what feels good for me, in a culture that just kind of was always waiting for what might be the better option or the better church to go to or whatever it is, the consumer culture. We're actually called to something so radically different. And it might just be that God wants to use this time for some of us just to assess our priorities, to look again at what really is important. 
I've heard of someone in our church saying that they're using this time to tidy up their home and prepare it a bit better because actually they're looking forward to having more fellowship, more connection with people, hopefully come the summertime. And, and they've been like preparing their freezer, ready to like make some space for food so they can actually invite people for meals. And for other of us, it might just be a simple, fresh commitment to something a social, a serving or small group where we intentionally engage with one another or perhaps intentionally meeting up with that one or two other people and as part of that meeting up we choose to be accountable to talk about our faith and pray for one another. For some of us it will mean just thinking about that afresh and maybe taking that walk that we can do with one other person in the family of God and praying with them, just inviting Jesus to be present with us. And so therefore, do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Let's pray. God, I know that you so love Christchurch W4. You so love this community. And I just pray this morning your richest blessing upon us, that we would know that we can approach you with utter confidence. And Lord, where we have these challenges, these exhortations, would you give us the grace that we too in our lives would respond to you worshipfully, by sacrificially at times giving of ourselves where you want us to. Help us to assess for each of us individually, but then corporately too, what it means for us to intentionally be in, to be in your body, to be in your community of people. Help us to think about how we might best use this lull time to think about it and to invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us in our lives. So come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, into our homes right now. Come and just refresh us. Refresh us with the simple truth of our faith again, that Jesus' sacrifice means we can enter the very presence of God Almighty. And to say again to you, oh yes, Lord, you are God. Please, I just want to worship you with the whole of my life. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Minister to each of us. Amen.